is spiritual intelligence is not just accessing what's happened in your own brain or your own spirit, but instead tapping into God's spirit who is eternal, infinite, and has all knowledge, wisdom, and knows the future. Furthermore, the spirit has unfathomable experience with mankind who, and knows the heart of every person on the planet. The Holy Spirit is the genius of geniuses, the scientist of scientists, the doctor of doctors, the engineer of engineers. You get the idea. He's beyond brilliant. What's exciting is that born-again believers have the mind of Christ and therefore have full access to the internet of divinity, which is ultimately spiritual intelligence. Did you just hear what I said? I said, it's good to go to school, it's good to learn, it's good, all of that's good, but I'm training my IQ and EQ. But what if I actually learned to proactively connect to the internet of the Holy Spirit, uh, the internet, which is the Holy Spirit. What if I start thinking, what is he thinking? Hi, I'm Chris Bellton. I'm the author of Spiritual Intelligence, and I wanna just take a minute to let you know why I wrote the book, Spiritual Intelligence. I believe that God's people are supposed to be the most brilliant people on the planet. We're actually the only people who can think tri-dimensionally, that actually have that spiritual intelligence, that Holy Spirit intelligence, the gift of wisdom that comes from another age. And I believe that God wants us to be leading every dimension of life. We should be the most brilliant, the wisest, the greatest innovators, the greatest inventors that the world has ever seen. So that actually they know that they want to have a relationship with God. And so this book is actually teaches us how to tap into the third dimension, how to tap in, as Paul called it, the spirit of our minds to become the brilliant people, to be like the wisdom of Solomon, where the Queen of Sheba came from a long ways away just to hear the wisdom of Solomon. I really believe that this book is gonna incite a revolution in the way people think, especially believers. And who knows how many people will come to Christ because they want to think just like we think. God bless you, I hope you love the book. Spiritual intelligence is not resident in you, it's resident in the Holy Spirit. And what makes spiritual intelligence you know, powerful is that according to First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, is that we actually have access to the mind of Christ, meaning what God is thinking. So spiritual intelligence is really kind of like pushing the safari button, and let me equate what that is. It's my spirit having communication with the Holy Spirit who actually knows everything about everything. Like the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. And so I'm like tapping into, I'm like, I'm tapping into like Google God. And the, the people that have access to this SQ are only believers. Now, I'm not saying that an unbeliever can't tap in, you know, kind of like God opens the door. But really, uh, this SQ is available to people who have received Jesus Christ and who have the Holy Spirit within them. And the Holy Spirit speaks to my spirit. This is where I'm getting the information. This is the link right here. This is the Safari link. The Holy Spirit, my, my spirit speaks to Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the spirit of the living God. And 2 Corinthians says that all things I've heard from the Father, all things that the Father thinks, I actually have access to. That's the renewed mind. But we're not just talking about the renewed mind because the renewed mind is actually something resident in me. I am renewing my mind. But the mind of Christ is actually this. I actually have access to the mind of Christ. So in the same scenario, 
my neighbor throws crap over the fence, he, he flips me off, he cusses at me. And I, now I say, okay, not what would Jesus do, but what is the Lord thinking? Over the past two weeks, we have talked about the prophetic lab. We have looked at its origins. We have talked about Lindsay Ryman's testimony, who is the founder of Aquaregia that runs the prophetic labs. And we have also looked at the inner workings of the prophetic lab and found some disturbing things and concerning things all around. And I had mentioned in those episodes about spiritual intelligence. And I will say, as I said in those episodes, it is going to be very difficult, if not impossible, for me to cover every aspect of spiritual intelligence in these episodes. I'm hoping to do this today and in the next episode to talk about as far as what is concerning spiritual intelligence regarding Chris Vallotton and Bethel. And the reason why I can't cover it all um, in its entirety is because it spans into so many different belief systems. Um, when I was doing my research on this, I found this in non-religious uh, videos. They were talking about spiritual intelligence as self-awareness. I mean, there are lots of clips I could play for you, but I want to try to keep this at a decent <laughs> time frame. But there were things I found in, in other parts of the modern prophetic movement. There's a book that Jennifer Ives uh, wrote the foreword for about spiritual intelligence from a few years ago that, that another individual had written. Uh, Amanda Grace, that some people are familiar with, she had an individual on it was talking about spiritual intelligence related to a dream about American Airlines being decoded and why spiritual intelligence was needed in this era for political leaders and such and for, for uh, solutions to be given um, about problems that were in the world. And there were videos I came across of angel card readers, tarot card readers that were mentioning about spiritual intelligence in a card reading. There was um, gurus that were talking about spiritual intelligence. There was a particular individual, I'll play a couple of these right now, named Aaron Abke. He has a YouTube channel. I do not recommend that you go to it. And, and, I'm very mu and very much involved in some of these religions, such as Hinduism, Buddhism, and such. But just listen to what he says about spiritual intelligence. Intelligence. Spiritual intelligence is the capacity that one possesses for self-awareness and integration. So the reason that this definition resonates for me as being the most accurate is because it takes into account both the masculine and the feminine components of spiritual evolution. We could say that self-awareness is the speed and accuracy that one possesses for recognizing truth from falsehood within oneself and we call this discrimination in spirituality. So what are the different levels of awareness and integration that we move through as we raise our SQ? Do they follow a certain order or pattern, or does everyone move through them in an entirely different order? Thankfully, ancient masters from the East, of Hinduism to Buddhism to Taoism, have been answering these questions for thousands of years. And so by studying and pulling from these different systems, as well as the science of human brainwave states, the seven energy centers as described in the Law of One, and the Map of Consciousness from Dr. Hawkins, I've put together what I believe is a very reliable and comprehensive map of spiritual intelligence. I mean, I could play you more where he talks later in the video about how we owe what we know about spiritual intelligence to India, because though India is not high on IQ or EQ necessarily, and they have not been the ones to create certain technologies, they are the ones that have contributed to the the existence of our uh, our universe, if you will, to uh, spiritual intelligence, and that they've created the mythology of 
the religions that help us to understand these things, and they created the seven centers of spiritual awakening. I mean, this stuff is is um, found not only in what Chris teaches, but the concern is that it's borrowing from other belief systems, and ultimately, it's telling us that we can think like God and have His mind about everything and solve the world's problems through tapping into Holy Spirit's mind and putting a completely different twist on some of the scriptures that he mentioned. So, we're going to talk about this today. We're going to look at a um, a message that Chris ministered at Global Awakening at Randy Clark's church a while back about spiritual intelligence, and we're going to look at some of the scriptures that he references in this. So, buckle up and get ready as we dive into the introductory understanding from Chris Vallotton's perspective of spiritual intelligence. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. In 2020, Chris Vallotton released a book called Spiritual Intelligence, The Art of Thinking Like God. There's also a workbook that can go along with it. And in this book, he talks about uh, the two well-known quotients that analyze our mental and emotional capacity, which are IQ and EQ. I'm reading the back of his uh, book cover. But this groundbreaking work suggests that believers are ignoring a deeper dimension of our makeup, our SQ, or spiritual intelligence. Because we have the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit, we are capable of divine brilliance, a heightened understanding that aligns our perspective with His and reveals stunning solutions. God not only invites us to operate in this gifting, but He designed us for it. And in this eye-opening new release, pastor and best-selling author Chris Vallotton answers questions such as, what are the five dimensions of spiritual intelligence? How can I build new neural pathways to supernatural thinking? How do I recognize my sphere of influence and the borders of my divine assignment? How will an increased capacity for spiritual intelligence transform my life? How do IQ, EQ, and SQ work together? And what does it look like to wholly operate in all three? Chris says, as you listen to the Holy Spirit and begin to realize what it actually means to think like Christ, you will embark on a life-transforming journey that will have a significant impact on the world around you. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about the book and the workbook, and we're also going to be looking at the Spiritual Intelligence Institute, because this is also an important aspect of this teaching. But today, our main focus is going to be on a message that Chris Vallotton ministered at Global Awakening, as I said, a year ago. Uh, Global Awakening is affiliated with Randy Clark, for those that may not know. And this entire message is centered around spiritual intelligence. Now, I'm going to talk you through some of the things. I'm not going to play all of the clips, obviously, as I normally do, but I'm going to touch on some of the main ones that seem to be important in this. And we'll look at some scripture. We're just going to basically look at some scripture. We may even look at some things. I'll re- reference you, as always, to some articles or some um, some teachings that you can listen to about the mind of Christ, for example, what biblically we can understand about having the mind of Christ, what that means and some of these other verses. And as always, I'm going to encourage you to do your own Bible study um, on this, but you really need to be listening to solid pastors on this. You need to be doing some good Bible study on these things because there are, again, as I always mention in these episodes when I cover these topics, there are concerns 
when you're talking about something that is also affiliated with the new age and with gurus and with card readings and uh, just in general people thinking your spiritual intelligence is self-awareness. It's you tapping into yourself. Chris doesn't say that. He says it's tapping into the Holy Spirit. There's things that are just stated uh, that are, uh, as always, a concern. So with that, I'm going to quit rambling, and we're going to get on into Chris Valentin's teaching on spiritual intelligence so you can kind of understand his perspective on it. Chris Valentin opens up in this sermon with a story about coming to understand that God knows everything about everything, because he didn't realize that before. And this came from a time of receiving a word of knowledge about a broken truck because he was a mechanic. And he was perplexed in fixing this truck because this was during the time he said, when the um, computer chips, the computerization of trucks was beginning to come on the scene. And uh, he, at the time, he was at the church where Bill Johnson was pastoring in Weaverville, and it was a very small church. Uh, Valentin said about 20 of them attended um, these different services and, and gatherings they had at times in order to practice prophesying. And it was in those times he began to understand, you know, God is is knowing everything, that he knows everything about everything. He goes on to talk about spiritual intelligence from here by going into Romans 12, 2. And just so we know what Romans 12, 2 says, let's read it together. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Chris Valentin from here gives seven symptoms of a transformed mind. Seven symptoms that you actually have a transformed mind. Number one, you live in hope. You live in hope. You live in hope. And I'll, I'll quote Bill when he said, any thought that's in your mind that doesn't inspire hope is rooted in a lie. How do I know if I have a transformed mind? I actually live in hope. That foreboding spirit that says something's about to go wrong is gone out of my life. And I think everything works together for good in the end. So if it's not good, it ain't the end. Number two, how do I know if I have a transformed mind? The impossible seems reasonable. The impossible seems reasonable. And we see that all the time here, right? As, as Randy and the teams were talking about sharing you know, cancer testimonies. Someone diagnosed, they've got a week to live, six weeks to live, they come, they get healed. And the person who's praying for them, if the person who's praying for them has a transformed mind or the team around them have a transformed mind, they don't think this might happen. They think this is reasonable. It's reasonable to think this cancer will dissolve because God does the impossible. Number three, you live in peace and you don't worry. How do I know if I have a transformed mind? I live in peace and I don't worry. And my speculations are positive. How many know that 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And then he names three fortresses, 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 thoughts, speculations, and lofty things. I'm going to interject something here. Just listening to these first three sound like a repackaging of Word of Faith, because (laughs) Word of Faith is based on the fact of your belief, of your positive confession, that you don't want to think negative thoughts. If you think negative thoughts, if you say something out of your mouth, I remember for years, I mean, we were told, you don't want to say your back is killing you, because if you say your back is killing you, then it will. And so there's different verses that people will go to on this when they, you know, speak to the mountain with uh, Matthew 11, 23 and 24. In Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it shall eat its fruit. There's different verses that will be used in these types of things to encourage this. So it sounds like just listening to this, you know, the first symptom that you have a transformed mind, hope. 
that impossible seems reasonable. That as long did you catch what he said as far as you know the there at Randy Clark's at Global Awakening, those that come for healing. If, as long as the person, if the person has that needs healing has a transformed mind and those praying that that is what it can be a factor in that person getting healed, that you live in peace and you don't worry, that you don't want to continue to meditate on these these different things that are negative. So again, it sounds like it's spinning off into word of faith. So let's keep going. Number four, this is a big one for me. You like yourself. <laughs> Here we go. See how quiet it got? Because people don't like themselves. No, you like yourself and you rejoice in your weakness knowing that when and where you're weak, he is strong. I'm going to stop here again because he goes on to talk about you know, that they were at this retreat and they did this Enneagram test and that was another red flag right there. Uh, it, you've heard other people, I'm sure, that have talked about the Enneagram. I have not talked about it, but what I do know about it is to stay away from it um, because of I have friends that I have some understanding about it and it's not a good thing. So stay away from the Enneagram. But he talks about you know that he likes himself and that he wrote a book about his trials and that working through that and to rejoice in your weakness. So that was number four. Let's see what he says after this because so we can keep moving on through his message and get to the meat of this as far as talking about spiritual intelligence. But this is part of his understanding of spiritual intelligence as far as what a transformed mind is. You're quick to forgive and you give grace to others, grace and mercy to other people. How do I know if my mind's renewed? I'm quick to forgive. Some people are holding on to bitterness, and they tell you, they come up and tell me stories about things that happened to them and tears running down their eyes and pain in their face, and then I find out that the story is about something that happened 20 years ago. Number six, how do I know if I have a renewed mind? I am confident and thankful. I am confident and thankful. And the last one that I'm gonna share with you right now is uh, how do I know if I have a renewed mind? I believe in other people, and I give them the benefit of the doubt. Mm. Now, Chris says that Bill Johnson is the champion of this, that he believes in people and gives them the benefit of the doubt, even when he shouldn't at times. And I've heard him in another message when he ministered about spiritual intelligence, where he talks about the 12 disciples, and he talks about Judas and, and why Judas, Jesus made Judas the treasurer, and that uh, using this as the example of believing in others and giving them the benefit of the doubt. And what he says, it's just really strange. I'm not going to play it for you, but uh, if you're interested in hearing it, I can send you the clip just for time's sake. But he uses that analogy as far as uh, the believing in other people and giving them the benefit of the doubt. So as Chris goes on about 18 minutes, 43 seconds in, he starts talking about his history of having a nervous breakdown. And in that time, he says he began reading books about brain science. He talks about thoughts that travel on neural pathways that he read in one of these books and that the more you think about a thought, the wider the neural pathway gets. And this leads to a mindset. He then goes on to refer to Joshua chapter 1 in how to change your mindset. And it's about 23 minutes in that he talks about the word meditate. I want to play this for you just so we can hear what he says about the word meditate and the verse that he uses in order to support this belief. Be interesting, the word meditate, he said, I want you to, let me just repeat it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You shall meditate on it day and night. The word meditate in the Hebrew is actually the word growl. Growl, like a lion. In fact, in, in, um, in Isaiah 31.4, Isaiah wrote, For thus says the Lord, 
as a lion or the young lion growls over its prey, and he goes on to talk about the lion growling over its prey, the word lion growling over its prey, the word growl is the word meditate. In other words, sometimes when we think about meditation, we think of like a little Buddha man standing in the corner, like humming, you know, what are you doing? I'm emptying my mind. <laughs> humming, no, that's not scriptural meditation. Scriptural meditation is not emptying your mind. It's actually proactively being like a lion and building new neural pathways. Can I picture it like this? Like a bulldozer, I take the truth and I begin to bulldoze a new pathway through the jungle of my mind. Are you with me? So when I am in a circumstance and I've built an eight lane freeway to something's about to go wrong, I say, okay, I exit that freeway on purpose. And I say, what does God say about this? What, are my, what is my testimony? What is my prophecy? And what does the word say about this? And I, I remember, well, all things work together for good for those who love God. And I take Romans 8, 28, and I begin to exit the freeway, even though my emotions say, well, something terrible is gonna happen. I go, no, no, we're not gonna go. We're not gonna be led by the soul. We're gonna be led by the spirit. And I begin to proactively say, no, this is gonna work out for good. My daughter's gonna get home safely. The principal probably took her aside. She's, she has these five prophetic words over her that haven't been fulfilled. She's the daughter of the king. She's gonna be a dancer. She's gonna be an actress. And I begin to remind myself of what God said. And as I do that, I am plowing a new neural pathway. Are you with me? I am making a new neural pathway in my mind. And now what happens is, and then the next time I have a circumstance, obviously I have an eight lane freeway to, to something bad's about to happen, but now I have a walking trail and I walk down that trail and I take my bulldozer with me. And what happens over time is not only have I exited the eight lane freeway to hell, but I have entered the highway to new way of thinking. Watch this. What happens is if I stay off that freeway for 40 days, proactively on purpose. Remember, inactively, if I don't take control of my mind, my mind's going to go that way because my mind is developed. My mind's core value is let's make the easiest decision possible. So I have to proactively use my will to say, no, we're going this way. Now let's do a little exercise together briefly. I'm going to go into Logos. You can get the free app of this on your phone and do some Bible study on there, which I encourage you to do. Chris Valentin mentioned Joshua chapter one, where Joshua is instructed that he is to meditate on the word of God. It is not to depart from him, but he is to meditate on it. And he says that the same word that's used there is the same word that's used for uh, growl in Isaiah 31 4. Now, let me, let me just point something out here that's I'm just to use some logic. When you use a word in a sentence, do you apply all the meanings to that word that it could possibly have? Or does it have a specific meaning? I'll just let you answer that question. I'm not going to answer it for you. Uh, <laughs> but when we look at the Greek and Hebrew words in logos, it, what's really neat is that it divides them up for you. So you can see this particular word, how it was used, what verses it was used, and what the meaning was, because this word does not mean all of its meanings, its definitions, and you can't just pull the definition that you want for convenience sake and slap it on that word in order for you to eisegete a passage and to have it mean something it doesn't mean. So in Isaiah 31, 4, it says, for thus the Lord said to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion 
and on its heel. That's the full verse. When you look at Grouse, um, Logos does this really neat thing, as I've talked about before. It makes this colored wheel. And the different meanings of that word, it color codes them. And you can click on each section, and it'll show you which verses apply to that meaning. Well, first of all, the word for growl there that's used in Isaiah 31.4 means to utter or emit low, low, dull, rumbling sounds. When this word is used to meditate in, with that definition, it means to reflect deeply on a subject. That is not the same thing. And so, and the verses that it gives for that, for this particular word, are, jo, uh, are Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It also lists Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, Psalm 63, 6, Psalm 77, 12, Psalm 143, 5, uh, Proverbs 15, 28, and Isaiah 33, 8. None of those mean growl. So this is just a simple exercise that you can do to check when, when a minister is saying these things. It's not the same thing. Yes, it's the same word that's used there, but it's used in a different context. And of course, there are Hebrew and Greek scholars that can tell you what the tense is, how it's being used, what it means in that context. So I would very much encourage you, listen to someone who knows Hebrew and Greek and is not reading into the text and telling you that you're supposed to growl over your your words that you get. And, and that's what meditate means is that you're, you're supposed to growl over the word of God. That's not what it means. And he says, if you stay off, off this pathway for 40 days, it changes how you come to conclusions. Now, I, and I'm just going to make an observation real quick but as, before we move on, um, because I have some more I want to cover here, and I want to play a really weird clip for you here in just a second. It's just really interesting that he said this, and I'm going to play it. But when I'm listening to Valentin talk about this, and I taught from his basic prophetic ministry class, uh, that we had it at our local church years ago, and I was given the permission to teach from it. That this was the curriculum I was given, and we learned about the prophetic. And we're, uh, I was teaching people. I can't even believe I believe that teaching people how to prophesy and practice prophesying and all this stuff. And that's how it was relayed to us: is that you're practicing, you're practicing hearing the voice of God, which is nowhere in Scripture. You're not taught to practice hearing the voice of God, but. When I'm listening to him talk and to say these different things, and even reading through the book and the workbook, I've been working my way through them, it, it's almost like he's repackaging the prophetic teaching that he had years ago, using similar verses. I, I remember certain verses that he was saying as I was going through this, that it sounds like he's basically repackaging the prophetic ministry and putting another name on it in order to continue to further it on and make it lucrative. I mean, I'll, ju I'll just say that. But it just seemed very, it seemed as if there was a regurgitation or a recycling of this, these beliefs and these techniques and putting it into another book and adding more to it. And now we're saying, oh, well, we can build new neural pathways. We can build new neural pathways in order to have the mind of Christ. Yeah. So let me play this for you real quick. Um, he uses the story of a girl he knew who walked her large breed dogs. They were mastiffs is what he said that dragged her. And this is what God told him when he was watching this young girl walk these dogs that were dragging her. And one day I'm watching her and the Lord says, that's how your mind is. Yeah. You, you let your mind control you. You don't control them. 
and, you, and, and your mind tells you every day what you're going to think and you don't take charge of it and tell your mind what it's going to think. And he said, most people are like this in that they have, they have depression, anxiety, panic attacks because the dogs are telling them where they're going to go. You're not telling the dogs where to go. And the Lord said, it's time to potty train your brain. So this is a direct word from the Lord, everybody, that God has told Chris that it's time to uh, potty train our brains. All righty then. Well, he goes on to mention 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, and he tells people to repeat with him what he is saying. But I want to point out something. So when I, re when I have a renewed mind, I think like God. Can you say this with me? When I have a renewed mind, I think like God. Okay. Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. We're going to kind of jump into the middle of a conversation Paul's having. Verse 6. We do not, well, I'm sorry, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age and not of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Everybody say mystery. The hidden wisdom. Everybody say hidden wisdom. Which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Everybody say glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age would have had has understood, for if they had understood it, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, I do want to stop here for just a minute, and I want to interject something from his workbook that I have in front of me about uh, the basic training for spiritual intelligence. On page 19, I remember reading this when he said this, but he focuses on uh, this, this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 16. And he just read it. And he also mentions about how the, the verse in italics below that is referencing something in the Old Testament, which Paul was referring back to Isaiah. On page 19 of this workbook, Chris Valentin says, Notice how Paul begins his insights with the fact that we have access to a dimension of wisdom that is otherworldly and inaccessible to those who don't know God. Paul makes three observations about this divine wisdom. Number one, it's a mystery, and you heard him focus on the particular words. He wants to focus on these words and read something into them that's more than what they're saying. So, number one, it's a mystery, which is the Greek word mysterion, meaning secret doctrine. In fact, Paul goes on to tell the Corinthians, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And he cites 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Just ask yourself, what is the mystery of God that is being revealed, that has been revealed? That, that's what he's getting at with this. Number two, he says, it's hidden from unbelievers, but available for believers. King Solomon put it this way. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Proverbs 25, 2. That's, that's one of his go-to passages for these. You'll see that, hear this over and over in his teaching in the prophetic, he loves this verse. And number three, it displays our glory. In the days of Solomon, God's infinite wisdom was put on display for the Queen of Sheba, leaving her stunned and breathless. Likewise, the wisdom of God's Holy Spirit is to be demonstrated through us, His people, to the world around us. This divine demonstration not only brings glory to God, it also glorifies His people. So, he focuses on the fact of, of there being secrets here. And a lot of times in the prophetic, the secrets, um, the secret or the mystery is not the God gospel, which that's what Paul is talking about, the mystery of the gospel that was from the foundation of the world that God had, and now it's been revealed. It's no longer a mystery that the gospel is not only for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's revealed, and it's been revealed through His Son, and it's revealed in the Word of God. So, it's no longer a mystery to us, but to unbelievers, it's foolishness. 
And it, it's not revealed to them because they do not have the Spirit of God. You can only understand the mystery of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and your need for Christ through the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel. But that's not what the prophetic teaches you. It teaches you, the modern prophetic movement teaches you that there are secrets, there are hidden meanings, mysticism, Gnosticism, essentially, that you have to find out what these hidden meanings are. And, and you've got to hear the voice of God for yourself in order to know them. And now with the spiritual intelligence, they're saying, well, you can create neural pathways that you can think God's thoughts. And it's not only what would Jesus do, as we'll hear Chris say that, and we've heard him say it already in some of these clips in the introduction, but is what is the Lord thinking? So now we're going to take it to a whole other level, and we're going to go back to the garden, essentially. And you can be like God. I mean, how is this not... Um, equivalent to the little God's doctrine. <laughs> How is this not an offshoot of the little God's doctrine that you are little little G, you are little gods, because you're little gods, you don't just do what Jesus would do, you think like him, because now you have the direct access to the mind of Christ. Is that what that scripture really means? Oh my he focuses on mystery and hidden wisdom, as I said. He goes on to verse 9 in 1 Corinthians 2, and he talks a little bit about Isaiah, which he says something really puzzling to me. And again, for time's sake, I won't play it. But about 30 minutes in, he says about Isaiah, you know, he's the Old Testament. He says he still had a sinful nature. He didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But when he mentions that Isaiah still had a sinful nature, it was almost as if he was making a distinction and saying, even as a born-again believer, we don't have a sinful nature. And, and I believe Scripture would disagree with him on that. Uh, we have victory through Christ, but we're going through a sanctification process. But it was just very interesting how he threw that in there when he said that about Isaiah, making the distinction between Old Testament and New Testament. That they, He said they weren't saved. They didn't have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He said they still had a sinful nature. I want you to just to consider what he's saying about that. About 32 minutes in, he says that people um, saying our thoughts are not God's thoughts. And just listen to what he says about this, what his thoughts are when people say that, that our thoughts are not God's thoughts. So, the old, so Isaiah says, hey, we, we have no idea what God's thinking. We just know it's good. Eye hasn't seen it, ear hasn't heard it. And people quote this verse. I've heard people preach like, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. I'm sorry, God's thoughts are supposed to be our thoughts. And we have access to the thoughts of God. Okay, I'm going to make this quicker. Let's go down to the last verse, verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Now stop for a minute. Did you notice it's italicized or it's capitalized? It's because Paul, again, is quoting Isaiah, who says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And Paul goes, we do. We have the mind of Christ. What I'm getting at is that the Old Testament prophet did not know what God was thinking, but you do. How can we know the mind of God? We, we know because we read his word. That we understand that His Word is authoritative in our lives, and we believe that this is God speaking. When we read the Old Testament and New Testament, as believers in Christ, that should be our final authority. It's very troubling to me when an individual with such a massive influence is standing on a platform, and he's telling people, you can think God's thoughts. Not that your mind can't be transformed by God, by the Holy Spirit, and you uh, reading the Word of God and understanding God's ways through that and through the way we are supposed to. But no, there is something more than that. And this is the 
this is w- what is stated time and again by human beings, and, and we all have been guilty of this at one point. There's always, there's got to be more. There's got to be more worship. There's got to be more in prayer. There's got to be more than what I'm feeling right now. There's got to be more. I have to know that God speaks to me on an individual level or or else I don't have a relationship with Him. And that's not what, again, what marks you as a believer. I know I've said that before. What Christ has done is what marks you as a born-again believer. The sealing of His Holy Spirit on you as a guarantee of your inheritance in Him as in Christ, being brought out of death and into life. It is based on what He's done, not what we can do. And what's concerning to me is that you're hearing Valentin, and he's getting ready to go into this analogy of a smartphone, and I'll talk about that in just a second, because he said this numerous times. I've listened to several of these messages that he stated, but he talks about, this is how he goes into IQ and EQ and SQ with this, which is emotional intelligence, and then you have um, the intelligence quotient, which is the how smart someone is as far as their knowledge is based, and then spiritual intelligence. So he'll talk about that about 34 minutes in. But just when you just hear what he said, and then what I found interesting was, is that he said, well, the prophets couldn't know God's thoughts, but God had no trouble in telling them what he was thinking. And the prophets giving a thus saith the Lord in the Old Testament. It's amazing to me how there's such a focus from the prophetic on the difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and there is a difference. But when you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, It's fascinating how they were able to prophesy the true prophets of God, prophesied accurately, precisely, specifically. They had no trouble hearing what God told them. It wasn't them going, well, I've got to create new neural pathways in order for me to hear how God, what God is thinking. It's not just about what would God do in this situation, but what is God thinking? I've got to do this. The Old Testament prophets didn't do that. And it was under a different covenant. We're under a better covenant. It's supposed to be better. <laughs> Prophecies should be better. If they're, if they're we're talking about the, the gifts and such, on, as far as that's concerned, with the prophetic, it should be better. But in this movement, it's not. It's not better. In fact, they're trying to create ways in order to, to verify that they're hearing from God, just like with the double-blind methodology. Let's take everything out of the equation that we could possibly know and and make sure that people know that we are hearing the voice of God rather than really going back to what the Word of God says and knowing what God has already spoken so that that way we can truly know who God is and walk in His ways and glorify Him as we were designed to. We were designed to to worship and to glorify God. But instead, with these types of things, these structures are being created to where man can take credit. I know some people may not agree with that, but when I'm continuing to read this, and I don't know if if anybody has looked into this and is seeing the same things, and I'm not meaning that in a prophetic way, but when I'm reading this stuff and listening, it's the focus is on man or woman. It's It's on fallible human beings. It's on self and about you being great and you doing all these things and you tapping into this power because God apparently is not able to, if he was telling people things today, he's not able to tell them. You have to build up new neural pathways. You have to positively confess out of your mouth. You have to do something in order for God to be able to speak to you and for you to have the mind of Christ. 
this type of teaching is putting the emphasis on people. It's not about focusing on, first of all, the more sure word of prophecy, which is scripture, talking about the Old Testament prophets who told, foretold of the coming of Christ to see the hundreds. I mean, as we're even coming into this Christmas season, have you ever contemplated the hundreds of prophecies that Christ fulfilled? And the and man's peon understanding statistically of how one man could fulfill so many uh, so a so certain number of those prophecies and the impossibility of that i mean that alone in our finite understanding should help us to see who is to be exalted here and who is to be reverenced and who is to be the focus and I'm telling you right now, as someone who is in this, and many others can testify to this, the focus is not on God. He is used as a means to an end. And it's for you to show, yes, I am hearing from God. And I can give some vague word or vague prophecy, and I can tell you, and or tell you that focus on a certain color or numbers that you have, or I can tell you a certain omen to pay attention to when Scripture tells you you're not supposed to omen read. I can tell you that you're supposed to focus on your dreams. I can offer webinars about dream interpretation. I can tell you that you are supposed to have open visions and internal visions and how you're supposed to hear the voice of God. All these things, and yet the Word of God is not sufficient. That, and that's what it comes down to. Again, always wanting more, the more. So he, I just found it fascinating. Sorry to get into that rabbit trail, but I just found it fascinating that he just was almost diminishing the Old Testament prophets. They told of glorious things that were, they foretold of Christ. I mean, Isaiah foretold of Christ in great detail. The book of Psalms, there are Psalms that are detailing the things that happened to Christ, his betrayal, the the birth of Christ talked about in Micah. I mean, if you go through the word of God and go through the Old Testament and you see the types and shadows that are in there from the feast to the the making of the temple to the to the worship in the temple to the high priest to the kings and the judges you see Christ through and through all that why can we not be satisfied with trying to plumb this word that we will never be able to fully plumb in our lifetime and we will not we can't even comprehend the, the majesty and the splendor and the wonder of God, the, the reverential fear and holiness that he possesses. Why is that not enough? I, I you know, and, and as someone who was in this type of movement, that's why I want to talk about these things because I see my own error and sin in, in not being enough. This is coming from someone who who loved the Lord and wanted to worship and wanted to do all these things and wanted to hear the voice of God and and sincere but major sin and error. And so this is why I want to talk about, again, these things because they're so important to talk about and for us to want to go back to the Word of God and to, and to understand it properly. As uh, Chris goes on, again, he uses the analogy of a smartphone. And about 34 minutes in, almost 35 minutes in, he talks about IQ, EQ, and then SQ. And he says the SQ, or spiritual intelligence, is not on your hard drive. It is in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to play something really quick because it's the same thing that he talks about. He gives this analogy of a neighbor, a nasty neighbor. And uh, November 28th of this year, he did a live Q&A regarding spiritual intelligence, and this was posted on his YouTube channel. I want you to hear what he says 
uh, in this analogy and how he talks about spiritual intelligence. So what would Jesus do? Jesus would do the opposite. He would operate in the opposite spirit. Okay, that's, that's the renewed mind. But we're not just talking about the renewed mind because the renewed mind is actually something resident in me. I am renewing my mind. But the mind of Christ is actually this. I actually have access to the mind of Christ. So in the same scenario, my neighbor throws crap over the fence. He, he flips me off. He cusses at me. And I, now I say, okay, not what would Jesus do, but what is the Lord thinking? And I hear, oh, Henry, my neighbor, is his dad was a pastor. His dad molested the kids. He lived like hell at home, preached about heaven on Sunday. And, and Henry hates his father. And when he sees you, he sees his father. Now, I'm not thinking like Jesus. I'm actually having the thoughts of God currently for Henry. Now I can do what I call strategies, spirit-led strategies. And I can say, okay, Holy Spirit, like the sons of Iskar, they understood the times and they knew what they should do. Okay, here, we understand the time. Now, what should I do about Henry? And the Lord can give me a strategic plan on how to help Henry. So that is a great example right there of what spiritual intelligence is. It's not just a renewed mind. It's actually access to the mind of God. So you just heard Chris Valentin say that. The renewed mind is not thinking like Jesus. He says this in the, in this uh, message that he teaches at Global Awakening. The renewed mind is not thinking like Jesus. It's thinking what Jesus thinks. So, again, going to this whole other level, and I would argue that this is essentially making you God because we're not told in Scripture that this is what, what this means. We're not told that we are to think God's thoughts, that we can tap into the mind of the Holy Spirit, and we can know exactly what He's thinking, and that we can, the, the Institute, as we'll talk about next week, it talks about finding um, solutions, uh, heaven solutions for, for the world's problems. And Chris talks about this later in this service. He t He's going to touch on the, his thoughts of wanting to take over the world, <laughs> essentially. And uh, I would just say that you'd be very cautious with this type of teaching, this the spiritual intelligence, it's going beyond what Scripture um, is it says. And then again, we're we're going into these waters of saying, "Well, God told me this." How do we know that his imaginary neighbor that he made up, Henry? How do we know that this is real? That this is the truth about Henry? Why is Henry not hearing the gospel? Why is Henry not hearing? that uh, he's a sinner and that he needs Christ and that uh, talking to him and sharing the gospel with him, sharing the love of God with him, sharing the truth of God with him through the word of God. Instead, we've got to, again, I'm going to repeat myself. It's, we've got to find something else because apparently the gospel is just not enough. The word of God is not sufficient. Even though Paul himself said that it is the power of God unto, uh, unto salvation. It is his word the preaching of His Word, the proclamation of His Word that brings salvation. His Spirit is the one that regenerates people. It is the work of God that does this. But now we're, we're trying to find a way to hear God in a different way, putting new 
jargon on it, putting new verbiage on it, new neural pathways and spiritual intelligence, and we're going to not just do what Jesus did, but we're going to think like Him. So, now the greater works, I, I don't know if they would hold a John 14, 12 on this too, the greater works is now also, is it, is it also now thinking God's thoughts now that we're going to, these are part of the greater things? I don't know. I mean, the more I listen to this, the more I'm going, how does this glorify God? And again, you're claiming that you have God's thoughts. Is that not authoritative? When is that not authoritative? Spiritual intelligence. You're going to say that now you're thinking what God thinks. That's authoritative. I don't see how you can get around that. You can't. We're just. It's just crossing into such dangerous territory. Oh. And this is not a one-off that, that Chris says. I mean, he states the same thing over and over again uh, that he's he's talking about the and at the global awakening at Randy Clark's church he's saying the renewed mind is not thinking like Jesus it's thinking what Jesus thinks so these things he's continuing to say the analogy with his nasty neighbor that's not a one off this is something he repeats over and over the whole smartphone thing which i mentioned that a minute ago but he says we're like the smartphone and we have a hard drive and the hard drive is what is the IQ and the EQ but when you get plugged in the wifi into the internet and you go on Safari, for example, or Edge or Chrome or whatever you want to use, he uses Safari. When you tap on Safari, then he says you're able to get into something beyond your hard drive, that you're able to have access to millions of people on the internet that have all these, um, have all this data and information. And that's what he equivalates spiritual intelligence to, is the internet, the internet, (laughs) How much junk can you find on the internet? How much falsified material can you find on the internet? How much just opinionated um, material can you find on the internet? It's not truth, but that's what the analogy that he uses. So when you link up to the spiritual Wi-Fi and you go to Google God is what he, you heard him say that earlier, then you can tap into the Holy Spirit and then you can hear and have availability to all the things, the the knowledge of God and that God's thoughts. If he if they could really do that, then they should know and be able to tap into the cure for world hunger. They should be able to cure cancer. They should be able to do all. If they're claiming these things, and some people will get upset at such a statement, but when you are having statements made that you can think God's thoughts then it's not out of the realm of possibility to to draw the logical conclusion that that person could claim to have the cure for cancer. So if you can get into God's thoughts, if you believe this, then that shouldn't be a problem because they're making it seem very simple. They're wanting to give heaven solutions for the world's problems. Okay, all right then. Well, you're not going to solve the problem for sin because Jesus Christ already did that. And that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's concerning to me. And you probably can hear that in my voice. But it's very concerning to me, and, and it's giving an irreverence toward God, and then it's, again, assigning these thoughts that are claimed to be from God, and it's putting authority on them while trying to say they're not authoritative, and just saying, oh, we're just practicing hearing the voice of God. It's a very small view of God and the Holy Spirit, in my opinion. Chris Vallotton says the reason we do not see change consistently is because we solve many problems from a low level. 
And about 39 minutes in, he says that we rely on what we know. And that's why we don't see the the breakthroughs and victories that we want. He says many times the um, spiritual intelligence solution is not logical. It's, it's just all very interesting and muddied what the things that he says about this. Um, very vague. And, and again, just you creating these new neural pathways through your positive confession, i.e. word of faith. And repackaging things in the prophetic, taking it to this next level of hearing the voice of God, and then, as we'll hear next week, and learn more about the Institute, incorporating the prophetic lab, and that we've already heard past few weeks about the double-blind study, the double-blind methodology, and and a person has assigned a code, and the participants doing the prophecy don't know the, who the person is, and they don't communicate with each other, and they're giving these vague prophetic words that they say are prophetic, and it's a bit of a mess. Um, Let's see if there's anything else that Chris Valentin has to say, and then we'll talk for a few minutes, uh, and I'll point you to some resources about understanding better about what the Bible actually says about the mind of Christ and renewing your mind. He's the genius of geniuses, and I believe that the Lord wants to open us up to spiritual intelligence. We started a, a tech school called Bethel School of Technology. Because the Lord has called us to make disciples of nations. About six years ago, I was interacting with a friend of mine, and we were talking about how do you actually change the world. And I had this revelation, for me at least, well, if you're going to change the world in the information age, you're going to have to get in the information gate. And I had this picture in my mind of Samson when he took a hold of the Philistine gates and he carried them to the mountain. I'm like, we need to take the Philistine gates and carry them to the mountain of the Lord. And so we started this we decided that we would start a coding school so that we could take the Daniels, Esthers, and Josephs, disguise them as coders, and seed them into every realm of culture coming through the technological gate. But what's been really interesting is we started teaching SQ to our students. So not only do they learn coding, but we call it coding with a cause. They learn how to heal the sick. They learn how to cast out demons. They learn how to get words of knowledge. And our coders, and, and by the way, uh, they, at the end of a nine months training, we have about an 87% placement rate, and they get placed in jobs that start about 65 to 75,000 a year, and it's been changing lives. But the part I love about it is we also teach them SQ. And a bunch of our students are starting to get breakthroughs in technology when they are just junior coders. And I'm like, what would happen if you took the kingdom and you seeded it into the cesspool of humanity, right in the gate of the Philistines, and you started bringing spiritual intelligence into Google, into Facebook, into Twitter, into Microsoft, and we have people working in all of those places. Now we've started a, a revival group in Twitter, in Facebook, at Google, and one of our goals is to get revival groups in every technological company in the world, where Daniels and Josephs and Esthers disguised as normal everyday people, bring the supernatural kingdom into a world that would never invite it in. I misspoke earlier. He said that, uh, I, I said that he wanted to take over the world, but he said to change the world. So I'll correct myself on that. At the same time, <laughs> I will make an observation here of what he's describing is a subtle way of dominion theology, uh, that he's talking about going into these different areas of influence 
and um, having a great impact on them to to essentially kind of take over uh, to to where their that revival that you heard him talking about. They're making these little pockets of revival to go into Facebook and Microsoft and Twitter and Google and different things. But again, I don't hear a clear presentation of the gospel. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing a focus on let's hear beyond what the word has said, uh, because and Chris Vallotton will tell you this. I mean, he's been in older clips saying that God is bigger than his book. Um, I heard him say in the Q and A to uh, recently uh, about spiritual intelligence. He said, "I mean, how does a guy named the Word of God not want to talk to us? Because he says the Lord always wants to speak to us." And I would just offer the question: Why? Why are they not starting with the Word of God to make sure that they have a proper understanding what God is what God has spoken, and that there's a lack of sufficiency in the Word of God in this type of movement? That it's just again never enough. There's always something more, always something more, and that can lead you into a lot of trouble. And then you start believing that you're hearing God's voice when you're not, and the things you're hearing are contradicting what He's already spoken through His Word, and then you're engaging in practices that God has forbidden in His Word, and then you're saying, oh, God's bigger than His book, and, and you know, He's always wanting to speak to us, and then you're going to nuance things, and then you're going to get further and further away from the truth of God's Word. And we've got to get back to the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ that is laid out in Scripture, that is focused on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and uh, there, there's a focus on signs and wonders in this movement. And if you don't do those, then you're not really operating in the power of God. And again, I would say that diminishes uh, the, the truth of, of the gospel and the, the, the true miraculous power of God in saving people and bringing them from death to life, spiritual death to life. Now, I know I've mentioned this resource before, but this is on gotquestions.org. There's other ones you can probably find. You can probably go to blueletterbible.com. Um, I think bible.org may be a good a site to check out. Um, and then look at commentaries. When you're looking and doing Bible study on verses such as what Valentin mentioned, Romans 12, 2, when you're talking about renewing your mind, when you're talking about having the mind of Christ, and you're looking at Corinthians, which 1 Corinthians 2, that he even talks about, the context, again, is um, when you read it in context, I think you're going to find that it's referencing the gospel, um, and that the wisdom from the Spirit um, is is for believers. I mean, he talks about that unbelievers can possibly tap into spiritual intelligence, and he uses the examples in some of his other talks about Nebuchadnezzar um, tapping into spiritual intelligence. Again, go back to Scripture, uh, because some of these are, are uh, he's using and assigning his, um, his terms, his terminology and things, and again, putting a different twist on it from, from the prophetic, from the basic prophetic ministry that they teach, and just putting a new spin on it, and now we've got a repackaging of a whole new teaching that we can put out looks new, but there's some recycling of other things and just adding on to it. That's my opinion. I can be wrong in that. That's my opinion in just observing that. But when you go on gotquestions.org, I'll give you one uh, uh, resource for this, and then I'm going to share a link in the bottom to a message about the battle of the mind. I think that'll be helpful to you by Steve Lawson. The question here is, what does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of the mind on gotquestions.org? It says the phrase transformed by the renewing of the mind is found in Romans 12, 2. Chapter 12 marks the transition in that epistle from the Apostle Paul's theological teaching to his practical teaching. 
And it goes on to say the book of Romans is probably the closest thing in the Bible to a systematic theology. Um, after teaching the great doctrine regarding the gospel of God's righteousness that is ours through faith in Christ, in Romans chapters 1 through 11, Paul begins to exhort us to godly living. How are we to live in light of the saving power of the gospel? That is what Romans 12 through 16 aims to teach. The practical section of Romans begins with a great therefore. Seeing all that God did on our behalf, therefore live like this. Um, and they cite Romans 12, 1 and 2 here. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And they say, this exhortation really serves as a summary statement of all that follows. A living sacrifice to God is one who does not conform, but is transformed. We are not to be conformed to this world. Paul is using the word world here to refer to the spirit of the age. In other words, world refers to the popular worldview that rejects God and His revelation. As unbelievers, we are naturally conformed to the world, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. As believers, we are no longer conformed to this world because we no longer belong to the spirit of this age. We have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, Colossians 1, 13. Therefore, rather than continuing to conform to this world, we are to be transformed by having our minds renewed. And uh, the mind is the key to the Christian life. The reason why non-Christians do not respond to Christian truth is that they cannot discern spiritual truth. And they cite 1 Corinthians 2.14 here. So this ties in with what Chris was talking about. The gospel is a call for the unbeliever to repent of his sin and embrace Christ by faith. The Greek word translated repentance carries the notion of a change of mind. Our thinking must be changed or transformed from old ungodly ways of thinking into new godly ways of thinking. What we know in our minds to be true forms a conviction in our hearts of that truth, and that conviction in our hearts translates into action. Therefore, we must first renew our minds. The only way to replace the error of the world's way of thinking is to replace it with God's truth, and the only infallible source of God's truth is His revealed Word, the Bible. Transformation through renewed minds comes as believers expose themselves to God's Word through the faithful exposition of it each week in church, personal Bible study, and group Bible study. A solid church that believes in preaching the Word, reading the Word, and singing the Word is invaluable in helping us renew our minds. And they encourage us. There are no shortcuts. There is no magical formula for renewing our minds. That includes creating new neural pathways that you are saying that you're creating. And, and in other words, thinking God's thoughts. It includes all that. There are no shortcuts. There's no magical formula. We must fill our minds with God's word. As Jesus prayed to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And that's found in John 17, 17. So I wanted to share that with you. There's probably much more, obviously, that I could share much with that. And I would encourage you to do some um, some Bible study on your own time and then look for some solid teachings on this. And... Um, to, to gain better understanding of what the scripture says, look in co commentaries to try to get a, um, some perspective um, to, to help in your study of the, the word of God and test these things. When people are coming at you with, with new things, they're saying, oh, we have a new fresh revelation, spiritual intelligence, which again, as we know, it's not a new thing. This is... This is infiltrated into the New Age, and, and gurus are using it, and they're using it in tarot card readings and angel card readings, and they're using it in all these in other religions and different things. And this is not something that we need to redeem and take back, and that we need to put our own 
Christianese spin on it in order to think like God. And it's getting dangerously close, if not um, congruent, to being like God and going back to the sin in the garden of not of rebelling against God, but listening to the the serpent say, well, did God really say that? And then that, you know, you can eat this fruit and you can be like God. You can know good and evil. And scripture tells us our, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. God himself has said that. Our ways are not his ways. We do not fully comprehend God and his thoughts. And you know why? Because we are finite human beings and we are creatures that have been created by the creator. And there are limits to what we have and what we can do for a reason. We are not little gods. We cannot just think God's thoughts whenever we want and create neural pathways in order to do so. We need to understand our place. We need to go back and see who is God and who is not. And some will argue that by teaching these things and saying, oh, well, we can think like God, that doesn't mean that we believe we are God. But what's to stop someone from saying that? What's to stop someone from going even further with it and saying, I am God, because I have God's thoughts. I am God. I am a little God, and I am just like that. That's in the Word of Faith teaching, the little God doctrine is. So, I would just strongly encourage you to stay away from, that's my suggestion, my strong suggestion, stay away from this teaching. And I'm covering it because it's not been covered in great detail, and I took one for the team in, in reading this book and looking through the workbook, and I'm still working my way through those so that I can talk about it next week and um, just touch on some of the main points of it, not go into great long hours long worth of detail about it, but to touch on the main points and the any questions about it and the Institute next week. But this is another red flag in in the hat of Bethel, and, and I just want to say, at what point do we say... There have been red flags for years between the music, between the teachings, between Sozo, some of the the mirror in God's armpit, the the genie in Aladdin for the Holy Spirit, the the different things that have been said that you are little gods, that all the the purple bubble, uh, the, the the protects people in the spirit. There's there are the the destiny card reading affiliation. There have been so many things. The grave soaking. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And at what point do we say enough? We need to avoid Bethel. We need to avoid the teachings that are coming out of it. We need to not listen to the music. We need to mark and avoid, and we need to issue a strong yet loving warning and saying, you all need to repent and you need to stop teaching this stuff. You need to stop. You need to stop embracing it. There's too much that's coming out of this that is very problematic. And it's it's mingling the new age. You talk about the physics of heaven. This is just another stepping stone from the physics of heaven book uh, and incorporating these things. And you're mingling in and you're looking like the new age and looking like the world. And, and what's ironic is that your mind is not being transformed um, by the renewing of your mind according to what the word of God is. It's being conformed to worldly patterns and it's being conformed to the new age and it's being conformed to all these other things that see that use some of the same verbiage and the same ter- terminology in Christianese, but it's repackaging it into something that Scripture never tells us to do. We cannot have God's thoughts, not in the capacity of what of what Valentin is saying. And we don't create new neural pathways in order to get there so that we can essentially be God. And he wouldn't say that 
but that's what it's that's the logical conclusion that it's leading to so i could go on and ramble on some more but that it's not necessary so i appreciate you listening today i hope that this has been helpful as always and it's given you some understanding of what valatin means by spiritual intelligence but be aware that he's not the only one talking about it and he's not the only one both within the professing christian faith and outside the christian faith that is highlighting and emphasizing the importance of spiritual intelligence. And if the world is talking about it and the new age and all these other and occult and and other religions are talking about spiritual intelligence and why we need it, that does not mean that that we need to get on the bandwagon and find our own way to talk about it and to adopt it and redeem it and do all of these things in order to make it valid. We go back to what scripture says and that's how we get our minds renewed. That's how we understand how to have what it means to have the mind of Christ in a biblical way and we understand our place in our relationship with God. Who is God? Uh, well, I am not and neither are you. We are created beings. We are submitted to God, we are to obey Him, we are to follow Him, and we are to glorify Him and to testify of Him. I hope you guys uh, have a great week, and um, as always, I look forward to being with you next week as we continue on with this topic of spiritual intelligence. Be blessed today by the truth of God's Word. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. You can also email me at dawnatlovesubscribe.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review and that you'll even share it with others who may benefit from the information provided. If you also like reading, you can subscribe to my blog at lovesixscribe.com, where I release weekly blogs that correlate with the podcast episodes. I've enjoyed our time together today, and I look forward to our next time together as we dive into biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.